Chapter 3. Welcome Help from Wiglaf. Now, of course, you know Wiglaf, distant kin of Beowulf, and you know he was one of the men who was there that day, my sister's son, hiding in the trees. And of course, it is absolutely vital at this point to pause for a moment to remember Wiglaf's sword and where it came from. How could we do otherwise? Eanmund, son of forgiving Othair, famously had no friends. This is because he'd angered everyone and was eventually left wandering friendless as an exile. Even his family would have nothing more to do with him. In his travels, exiled Eanmund encountered a distant kinsman of Beowulf's named Weostan, and Eanmund had no friends nor relatives left to defend him when he angered Weostan. So Weostan, annoyed with Eanmund, exiled son of forgiving Othier, killed him in battle and took his sword and armor, all of his well-made battle gear, to return them to Eanmund's relatives. Eanmund's equally forgiving uncle Onella told Weostan that as far as the family was concerned, Weostan had earned Eanmund's battle gear fairly and honorably, and was very welcome to it. This was very forgiving, as they would certainly have been justified in killing Weostan and his entire family for killing one of their own sons, but this was not their way, for they had grown tired of Eanmund anyway. And so Weostan kept the fine battle gear and remained on good terms with Othair, Onella, and their family. The sword Weostan now carried was never used to kill a brother and had in fact been won fairly and bequeathed to Weostan in goodwill. And Weostan, in his time, had a son and he raised him well, teaching him about doing things right and this paying off in the end. And when young Wiglaf was old enough to carry it in battle, Weostan very seriously gave him the sword of Eanmund and told him to always be a faithful kinsman and retainer. Wiglath had learned how to wield a sword, but the confrontation with the dragon was to be his first battle helping out his distant relative King Beowulf the Monster Slayer. And what a battle it turned out to be. Wiglath cowered in the tree line with the others, right where his kin the king had sent them all. He did as he was told and stayed there, but once the others started to flee to the forest, running away entirely, Wiglath gave them a stern lecture, while the stench of dragon fire rose in their nostrils. I remember when we drank the king's mead, and promised him who gave us our gold rings and swords, helmets and spears, that we would always be there for him, to back him up when he needed us. Just look at how we so readily break that promise now. He chose us, and gave us what we're now running away with, leaving him all alone when he needs us like never before. Let us all return back and help him. I would rather die here than go home wearing this ring and this fine helmet, bearing this shield, and tell people we left our king here to die. I would rather burn. And with these fine words, Wiglath turned from the forest and began making his way to where his king was being roasted by the dragon. But everyone else ran away. Wiglath held his yellow wooden shield high, helmet down low on his forehead, and strode carefully over to where Beowulf and the dragon faced each other. Beowulf simply hid behind the smoking, glowing shield, and the dragon seemed determined to slowly, tortuously burn Beowulf alive in the manner of cruel dragons. In fact, the shield had begun to melt with the heat, and Beowulf would not be able to use his left arm and hand ever again. Wiglath strode up and stood beside his king, holding up his extremely flammable wooden shield, and said quietly, O King Beowulf, my uncle, do you remember when I was a bit younger and you told me that you would never back down, that the thing to do was to keep moving forward? Well, now is the time for you to remain true to those words. Now is the time 
for you to show the world that you are every bit the hero you once were, and I am here to help you do it. Emboldened by Wiglaf's words, Beowulf let the melting iron shield fall to the ground, smoking and running with iron melt, and stood behind Wiglaf's wooden shield, knowing it would soon burst into ash. The two kinsmen advanced through the flames to bring themselves within reach of the dragon, who was keeping his distance after being hit in the head earlier, and Beowulf readied himself for another overhand sword strike like the first one, only harder. The old king pivoted with a quickness one wouldn't have believed possible at his age, and brought Nailing crashing down on the dragon's head even harder than he had before. The sword struck the dragon's head like a bolt of lightning out of a clear blue sky, and Nailing shattered into three jagged pieces which flew in three different directions and lay on the ground, quietly ringing with the impact. The dragon leaped forward at this point and grabbed Beowulf by the neck like a mighty dog catches a rat. The dragon's teeth closed around the golden neckband that Queen Wailthiao of Herod had given him and flooded Beowulf's veins with black-smoking venom. If not for the metal torque, the creature would certainly have torn the king's throat out. Wiglath, still holding up his scorched wooden shield, struck at the dragon with the sword his father had given him, slashing for the creature's eyes and throat instead of its hard skull. Incredibly, the dragon dropped the dying king and backed up for a moment, seeing a fire in Wiglath's eyes every bit as hot as his own, for Wiglath was overwhelmed with love for his kinsman and king, and determined to protect him and finish what he had started. And Wiglath raised his wooden shield to protect his head, and advanced on the dragon, leaving his uncle king on the ground. The dragon sent out a gout of flame, and Wiglath's shield burst into embers. He dropped it, his left arm scorched and useless, and drove his sword into an expanse of underbelly that was exposed to him, partly pinning a coil of the dragon's abdomen to the earth for a moment. The dragon screamed like a colossal brass instrument, and began spewing flames everywhere, and coiling and uncoiling in an attempt to free itself, only wounding itself further on the sword that Wiglath held firm with all his might and twisted in its guts. Looking like death itself, Beowulf got up on one quivering knee, drew the battle knife he always carried, and approached. Wiglath made room for Beowulf while keeping the creature pinned. As if gutting an enormous fish, Beowulf's knife opened the beast up from where Wiglath's sword had gone in, right across its body, and scalding, flame-glowing entrails spilled out, steaming and hissing on the pine needles under their feet, which in turn caught fire. Then, between the two of them, Beowulf, with his wide-bladed knife, and Wiglath, his kinsman, with his famous sword, gutted the creature even more thoroughly until it stopped trumpeting and thrashing about. Its head thudded to the earth, serpentine neck relaxing in death. Slowly, the hot glow of flame that had burned inside the creature and in the guts that now lay all around them faded and cooled. The king, however, was heating up now. The venom continued to burn hot and black in his veins, and the wounds on his neck steamed with the heat of it. Wiglath lay Beowulf down under a pine tree, removed his scorched helmet and acid-eaten torque, and tried to clean the ragged neck wound as best he could with the clean cloths he carried to treat battle wounds. Beowulf grated out, "'I wish I had a son.' to give him my battle gear. This kingdom I have governed for fifty cold winters, and no king of any neighboring country dared take me on or try to threaten us in any way. And I did as I was told, and sought no monsters to slay, and stayed at home, and sat on my throne, and listened to my people 
while my hair grew gradually gray and then white. No man can accuse me now of brother slaying or breaking my word in all that time. I am able to find peace in this, though I am dying with the kiss of the worm. Now one final thing before I make an end. I would like to see some of this treasure we have won today at such cost. I would like to gaze on it with my own eyes, the gold, the art, the gemstones, he said. And Wiglaf ran into the horde, hoping to bring something back to show his king before he died. The space was large and carpeted with treasure up to Wiglaf's knees. Now that the dragon was dead, the golden nest looked empty, golden gem-studded husk. Wiglaf scooped up a bright banner and vases, urns, and cups, filling them with jewels and coins. He came back out with them, clutched to his chest, staggering under the weight. He began handing cups and vases, overflowing with glittering treasure, to his dying lord, where he lay under the tree. King Beowulf's eyes grew misty as he handled the treasure, and he said, This treasure, I am thankful that I have gained it to give to my people, fairly won. I killed no man for it. Instead, I have traded the last of my fading life for it, and I hope I shall always be remembered as he who gave it unto his people. Then he spoke more quietly still. Now, some of the heroes of my people have been returned to the sea in a ship when they die, but I want a barrow. I want you to finish what the dragon began and burn me on a high place that will be seen from the sea by passing ships. Raise a towering tomb for my remains up there that will stand as a landmark that sailors can navigate by and a warning to avoid the rocks as they sail. And Beowulf reached out and took the golden torque that Queen Waeltheow of Herod had given him in his youth and handed it to Wiglaf. Next he gave to his young kinsman, as if to a son, his helmet and other battle gear. With his last breath, the dying king said in a whisper, hoarse with acidic venom, All of our other kings have been carried by fate far away from us before now. I must follow them, leaving you, who are the last of us. And Beowulf died. As Wiglaf knelt, looking down at the body of a burned, weaponless, armorless old man, the men who had fled into the forest began to come back out to see if it was safe and if there was any treasure for them. I will leave it up to you to imagine what Wiglaf, his left arm blackened and twisted like a crow's claw, had to say to all of them as they laughed with joy and bravely drank mead from jeweled cups taken from the dragon's hoard standing around the massive reptilian corpse.